morning, St. Michael's. Will you please stand? Lord, we are just so blessed to be in your house this morning. I just pray that each one of us would really feel that, that we're in your house. We are here gathered as a family together as a church to worship your name and to celebrate all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name.
And blessed be His kingdom. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. To the Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, and minimum of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
With your spirit. Let us pray together the collect. Almighty and merciful God, it is only by your gift that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Children. All right. The mighty army of the Lord assembles. <laughs> All right. This is my favorite crowd. <laughs> Handsome and beautiful. Pray with me. Reach out your hands and let's pray for these young children as they go off to Sunday school. Heavenly Father, we pray that your anointing would be with them and over them, keeping them safe and strong, Lord God, giving them a heart to be mighty warriors in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> This morning's first reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 119, verses 137 to 144. We will read Psalm 119 responsively by the half verse. Psalm 119. Righteous are you, O Lord. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, my zeal has consumed me. Your word is very pure. I am small and despised. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. 
trouble, and anguish have overtaken me. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Okay. This morning's second reading comes from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, Because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. St. Luke, chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature, Sorry, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence. I thank you for the worship that we bring. 
I thank you for the words that we read. I pray that you would enliven our hearts through the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So out of all of those wonderful scriptures we read this morning, we are still going to be with the Israelites. But hopefully you can see that there's some pretty easy connections between the scriptures we're reading week in and week out and the journey that is encapsulated in the Exodus narrative. If you guys have been following along, we've taken the Israelites out of Egypt and into the desert. And from that moment on, they've been heading towards Mount Sinai to meet the Lord. And today, they finally get there through all the harsh weather, the uh, lack of water, the lack of food. God has provided every step of the way, and now they're showing up at Mount Sinai. And so as we get into this, I wanted to frame our talk today by talking about uh, what I did last night. Last night, I had my 30th birthday party which was awesome. Thank you to everyone who came. It was great. But I started thinking about it throughout the party and then this morning, and I wanted to talk about, there's something interesting. What we did is we did a poker tournament. And poker is an interesting game. And basically, there's a couple different things going on in it. There's the, the baseline, which is whoever has the best hand wins. So whoever has the best five cards, and there's different combinations that you can do with them, a straight, a flush, a pair, two pair, all of that stuff, right? So that's one level of the game. But then there's a completely different level of the game, where you're betting and you're trying to figure out what the other person has, and you're playing against other people. It's not just, it's not like chess, where it's just one thing after another back and forth. You're actually influencing people to try and get the overarching goal of poker. You don't have to win a single hand in poker by the base rules, which is that you have to have the highest five cards. There's a different game that you're playing. Your game is to have more chips than anybody else at the end of the night. That's it. Now, this layering is actually one level deeper because you want to have the most chips at the end of the night and not have everybody at the party hate you. So you have to play a certain way. And there's levels of games throughout our life. There's, you, of course, calling it a game sounds like it almost cheapens what we're talking about. But using the analogy of a game can help us understand our life. We're not just doing one level of game as we go throughout our day. And I'm contractually obligated to tell you that uh, Spike did, Spike Mercer did win the poker tournament. And he played the game well so that most of us weren't too angry with him by the end of it. So he won what's, what I call the meta game of having a fun poker party, right? Because ultimately winning's great, but the point of the night was to have fun with your friends and to have a party. The same way what we're going to read about today, which is the revealing of the Ten Commandments, is our secret into knowing what the meta game of life is. Because people will tell you, play my game, play this game. This is what life's all about. They'll say things like, we're meant to eat, sleep, and reproduce. That's like the evolutionary idea, right? That's the goal in life. And if you play life that way, you might win that game. But you will lose. And what the Ten Commandments do is it focuses us on what the actual game of life that we play we are playing is and how what what are the rules of the meta game of life 
There's one other thing, right? So there's eat, sleep, and reproduce. We might be more familiar with eat, sleep, and produce. Meaning your job in life is to eat, sleep, and make money. Be successful. Achieve your goals. Get to the place you want to get to. That's rampant in our culture. But if you play that game and you ignore what God has instituted into the fabric of the universe, then you're going to lose. You're going to lose. And so as we talk about these Ten Commandments, I don't want them to feel like, oh, here's another burden for you to bear as you go throughout your day. I want them to be what they are, which is God's revelation for the goodness, the abundance, the growth, the freedom of your life. He's telling you how the world works. Because if you get that wrong, you're going to lose. You're going to lose the game. So let's talk about these Ten Commandments. The Israelites arrive at this mythical mountain, Mount Sinai, the place where the burning bush, the place where God shows up in His glory and His presence. And everything that happens there is framed by God's first words to Moses. So that's we're going to start there with what God says when Moses first arrives at Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Everything that God says after this, all the laws and regulations, and there are chapters of them, are because God wants this people to be his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, his holy nation. He wants them to be set apart. He wants them to live in his kingdom. In fact, what he wants is he wants to take them to the promised land. Not necessarily the physical place, although that's important, but he wants them to be a people who are spiritually experiencing the goodness of God at all times. They're living their life, and they're like, man, this is the land flowing with milk and honey. You may know this. You may have had those moments where you're just with your family, you're having a birthday meal, a holiday meal, and you just look around and you're like, man, I am so blessed. And you may not have any more money that day than you did the day before, but you're in a moment where you're experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God, where your eyes are open and you're like, this is like heaven, right? And we want to live there. That's where God's taking us. You could actually live every day with your eyes open saying, I'm living in the kingdom of God. It doesn't take away the difficulty. The same person who preached that the most, Jesus, he preached on the kingdom of heaven more than anything, went to the cross. He didn't exit the kingdom of God to get to the cross, but he was still in it, even in that moment. He could have experienced the cross and denied God, which would have been hell and torture. Instead, it was torture and heaven. It was torture and God's salvation for us and the whole world. So, I say all that to say, the framing of all of these laws is that God wants you to be a people who can live in His abundant, ever-flowing kingdom. This is the meta game to be God's treasured possession. To live like you're God's treasured possession. 
All right, let's jump into these Ten Commandments here. So then Moses goes back up to the mountains after telling the Israelites God's first words. And then we dive in here in chapter 20, verse 2. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We're going to stop there for a second. Even in the Ten Commandments, the framing is important. God saved the Israelites before the commandments. God saved the Israelites before they did anything for Him. They weren't living holy lives and God was like, man, i got to rescue them because of how holy they are. He saved them and now He's teaching them how to live in His kingdom. It's not He saved them and now He's teaching them how to be worthy of His salvation. He's already declared them His people. He's now just teaching them how to relate to them, how to maintain connection, how to live in the kingdom of God. And it has massive implications for us because remember, taking them out of Egypt, out of the slavery in Egypt, is a symbol for us of being rescued from the slavery of sin and death. And so the same thing God's saying to you, I saved you out of your sin and slavery. Why in the world would you submit yourself once again to that sin and slavery? So here are some rules to help you know how to live your life so that you don't put the yoke back on. Now, I will say right now, the scandalous thing is he never stops taking the yoke off. There's nothing you can do that would invalidate God's cross in your life. There's nothing you can do that would take away the price he has paid. So if you mess up, don't worry. He has paid the price. Come back to him. This is more of a dance than it is a test. God is teaching you the moves. And you're going to stumble and fall. But he is not mad at you when you do. And that's why these laws can be, instead of a burden, they can be the instruction manual for living a healthy, abundant, good life in right relationship with God and your neighbor. So that's what we're going to talk about as we talk about these things. So the first law is this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So right away, I'm just going to mention, uh, God's making this very clear. If you don't do this, if you serve other gods, there are consequences for your actions. He may have paid the price for your sins, but he is a good father, and he's not going to save you from the consequences of your actions. He's not going to take away your free will. The same way that I, as a good father, without any anger or upset, any judgment towards my son will deal out discipline as a consequence of his action. Because if I didn't, he would think that that's how he should live. If I didn't bring discipline or consequences to my kids, then they would think that that's how they are supposed to live. And that, that path leads to death. We're told sin leads to death. And so just like a good father, God will let you experience the consequence of your sins because you need to know what it means to live well and what it means to not live well. 
You need to know that. But the price of your sin is paid. There's no guilt. You are saved. You don't, even if you're experiencing the consequences of your own mistake, God is still all for you. And he is still constantly rescuing you. So there's, there's consequences if you go the opposite way. In this commandment here, you shall have no other gods before me. This frames the entirety of the rest of the commandments. Do you sin? You don't have to raise your hands or say yes. It's rhetorical. We all do. Well, guess what? Your sin has to do with this commandment. Because if God was your only God, and Him only you shall serve, then guess what? You wouldn't be going out disobeying Him. Living contrary to His will. We can find many idols in our life, whether it's hunger, our belly, whether it's money, whether it's security, whether it's politics, whatever it is that you dedicate your time to, whatever it is that you look to when you're in distress, those things that take the place of God in our life. But you know what? I realized recently I don't need any of those. I'm pretty happy worshiping myself. I just figure out how to do idolatry all on my own. I am so convinced that I know what I need to do or want to do that I often forget to even ask God what He wants me to do. And it leads me into those situations where, pardon my French, but you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you don't follow God's ways, you're going to get yourself into those situations. And it's not fun. Now, He will redeem you. He will forgive you. He will rescue you. But man, it's better to just go His way. Let me tell you. Another way I've heard it put is this. I just need God and to be happy. Whatever you put in that space. I just need God and money. I just need God and physical health. I need God and a car. I need God and my phone to be happy. Whatever's in there, that's your idol. That's the place that something is wiggling in. We were just singing all day about it. I'm thirsting for you and only for you. That's what we should be focused on. And then, guess what? We're told, seek first the kingdom, and all these things shall be added to you. Not that those things aren't good. There are objectively bad things. But a lot of the things we go after are not those things. They're things that might be good, but if you put them in the wrong order, if you put them above the kingdom, above God, you're missing it. But when you get this right, when you put Him first, what happens is remarkable. Your whole being begins to be transformed because we become what we worship. We become what we look to and dedicate our time to, what we serve, what we, what we sing to, what we run to. We get transformed into it. So when I'm worshiping myself, what am I becoming? More myself? No, I'm becoming an egotistical maniac, which is really what I'm worshiping. Underneath the worship of self is a grand delusion. That I'm more important than God. And so I'm becoming a delusional human being if I'm worshiping myself. I'm worshiping a false image, a false idol. But if you worship money, you might be really good at making money. You might succeed. But you'll find that it's empty. It doesn't fulfill. Oh, my soul, I thirst for you, God. Let's move on to these, the second commandment. And I'll just let you guys know right now, we're not getting through all ten commandments. I know some of you guys were starting to look at your watch, starting to think, man, lunch is going to be delayed, football games, I understand. We're just going to go through a few of these today. 
So number two, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's a strong statement. You shall not take his name in vain because God, who sees everything, who is eternal, won't let you off the hook. You don't get away with it. So what is he talking about here? Well, God just spent the first half of this Exodus story introducing his name to these people. I am Yahweh, the God who saves. He cares about his name. He cares about what they think about his name. What he's concerned about is not making sure that people say, oh my gosh, instead of, oh oh my God. It's not what he's concerned about here. Absolutely, you can say, oh my God, in a situation where it applies to this verse. You took it in vain. You said it in anger. You said it in whatever. Yes, absolutely. But he's talking about so much more than that. He's talking about the people who try and justify abortion based on Jesus' love for the Samaritan woman. That's taking the Lord your name, God's name in vain. Misrepresenting Him. So how does this happen? We have so many different types of Christian in this country. So many. we got the progressives. we got the Baptists, mainline. We've got all these different people. And some of them, we look at them and we're like, are you reading the same Bible? How does it happen that they get such different ideas of who God is? Well, if you don't follow that first commandment, having no other gods before me... If you aren't constantly seeking God and His revelation of who He is, then the the, the devil starts to wheedle his way in between and say, Did God really say? Remember that from the garden? Did God really say? If you don't spend your time with Him and you go two weeks without opening your Bible or praying or looking to Him, then your brain starts to repaint a picture of God. It's in our very nature. Our broken nature does this. We just automatically start to paint a different image of God. And generally, we paint Him in our image, which is really backwards, because He wants to paint you in His image. So we start to think, maybe you start to think, God has the same politics that I do. God believes, you know, that car that I just bought, even though I'm struggling with debt, God would want me to have that because it's so nice. Or it would make, you know, like there's all these different things that we do where we just put his rubber stamp of approval on our life. I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sundays. He must love what I'm doing. Or the vice versa is very common in our church setting. You are constantly walking around with an angry God in your head telling you how you don't measure up. That's equally not God. That's equally taking the Lord's name in vain. You're besmirching His name by ascribing to Him attributes that He does not have. He is not angry at you. And He's also not rubber stamping your life. If you don't think there's anything you need to change, you're not paying attention. You're not listening. But if you think He doesn't love you, if you think He's not happy with you and proud of you, You're also not paying attention. So don't take his name in vain. And the first step towards taking his name in vain is not seeking him. He will reveal himself to you. Those who seek will find. But you have to take the time to do that. Okay, here's a fun one. Commandment number three. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor... And do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's kind of funny, right? On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, livestock, the sojourner. He knew his people. I'm not doing any work as their servant is running their business, as, as the, the foreigners come in and say, hey, can you go do this for me? Like he knew they'd try and wiggle out of this one. But remember we were talking about meta games, that there's games that are higher? Well, the problem with this one is that we worship our time. Because we think that the game is work really hard so you can get the money to enjoy your time. That's the equation in our culture. Work really hard, get the money so that when you have free time, you can go to Vegas. You can go to Paris. You can drink that bottle of wine. You can hang out with your friends at the bar. You can do these fun things. You can sit down and watch Netflix or HBO or whatever because it's my time. Well, if you serve God and only God, then guess what? It's not your time. And this is just the way that God has told us to remind ourselves of whose time it really is. The same way the tithe, right, giving 10% of your income, reminds us that it's God's money. The Sabbath reminds us that it's God's time. If you can't imagine finding a Sabbath, then guess what? You've made your time an idol. Now, I'm not here to tell you you need to have 24 hours and you need to have the little red cord that says how many steps you can walk from your front door. I'm not here to just prescribe to you what your Sabbath looks like. But man, we need to think about it. It's in the Big Ten. It's not some side gig that God threw in for the Jewish people. It's right up there with not murdering. If you think murdering is bad, not keeping the Sabbath is in the same category. Because God wants us to not get to the point of murder. And if you worship something that's not Him, then guess what? You're heading in that direction. Maybe it's not murder. Maybe it's stealing. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's this, that, or the other thing. But when you don't worship God, you are tempted by all the other bad things. When you start worshiping an idol. So don't worship your time. Remember, He can do more with your six days of work than you can with your seven. I want to live by His strength, not my own, because, man, I'm tired this morning. (laughs) It's not easy to do all the things that we have to do. But if you live by His strength, He will be faithful to provide. And we're going to end with one of my favorite commandments, mainly because God has given me, like, the two best parents in the world. But we got honor your father and mother coming up here, right? So let's just read this real quick, and then we'll talk about it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God wants to give you so much. Every one of these commandments is opening a lock to the blessings of God in your life. It might not be money. It might not be a house. It might not be what you think it is. But man, I just want what God has to give me. He'll give you those things. He'll provide what you need. We're promised that throughout Scripture. But I want more. I want what He has in my life. So I want to honor my father and mother. As we pivot in this one, right? We had our first three commandments. Those were all about God. 
And of course, those are first. Because if you don't get those right, you're not going to get the other ones right. But now the last seven commandments are about how we love our neighbor, right? Jesus told us, love your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest commandment after love God. We just read it this morning. That's the summary, right? Like I said, the meta game is being God's treasured people. The meta how to win the game is love. Period. Love towards God and love towards neighbor. So as we transition to how to love your neighbor well, let's look at what this is. Where do you start? Loving your neighbor. Well, with your immediate family. Especially as a child, the first challenge you have is to love those people who aren't letting you eat the candy. Who are telling you not to climb on the bookshelf. Who are controlling your impulses. you got to love them. I went through several stages of difficulty in my childhood. (sighs) Yeah, several. Lots of them. And all of them centered on this one concept. I can sum them all up right now, and my parents will know this is true. I thought I knew better than my parents. Now, you all have met Ed and Mia, so you know that that wasn't true today, and it definitely wasn't true when I was five years old. I thought I knew better than them. But you know what? When I grew up, when I left my father's house, what do I struggle with today? I'm pretty sure I know better than God. How you honor your father and mother will affect how you love God. In fact, you cannot have a right relationship with God while being angry and bitter at your mother and father. Jesus said it best, right? You tell me you love your brother who you can see, or sorry, you tell me you don't love your brother who you can see and pretend to love the God you can't see. Like, if you can't even love the people in front of you, you think you can love this invisible God? What's the point there? When we say that, like, oh, well, those people or my parents or whoever, I have a right to be angry and bitter at them. But I am in good relationship with God. You're in good relationship with whatever God you made up in your head who also hates them. That's what we do. Like I said earlier, we imagine that God is like us. And so we're pretty sure he hates people we hate. Unfortunately, we're told he doesn't. He loves you just as much as you hate them and more. And he loves them just as much as anyone you've ever met. There's no favoritism here. God gives his gifts unrepentantly. So when we talk about honoring your father and mother... The reason I wanted to include it today, even though it starts to shift towards neighbor, is it's a clear example. In fact, it's probably the clearest example if you're honest with yourself. Your relationship to your father and mother probably affects your relationship to God more than anything else in your life. Now that shifts, of course, as you get older, as you start your own family. But man, is it important to get that one right. So I invite all of you today to think about how you honor your father and your mother. I admit and know and grieve that there are awful father and mothers out there who treat their children poorly or abandon them or etc., etc. But their evil does not justify our evil in hating them. Unforgiveness is the poison that we drink hoping the other person dies, right? Honor your father and mother. Find a way. Maybe they've passed on, but you still have something against them. Find a way to forgive them. Maybe do an action. Maybe go lay flowers on their gravestone. Something 
to reconcile in your heart and mind and invite God into that conversation. God, where have I not loved you well because I've disrespected my mother and father? Man, if I was like eight years old right now, I would not be liking this part of the sermon. Not that I didn't like my mom and dad, but I just wanted my way. And in the same way as we close out this sermon, let's not do that to God. Let's not buck against Him because we want our own way. Worse, let's not ignore Him because we're afraid He's mad at us or because we don't want to hear what He has to say for our life. We need to seek God. These commandments are about learning to be transformed. They're not about measuring up on a measuring stick. So how do we follow these commandments? We start by seeking Him and letting Him transform us. Okay? All right, that's all we got for today. Amen. I believe in one God, the Father, Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also under... All right, we're doing that one again. Oh, I see. And was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, He who is our salvation is in the midst of us. Therefore, let us bring our requests before Him. For the unity of the church, Lord, in Your mercy, for the church, that she will faithfully live out the gospel in both word and deed and make disciples of all nations, Lord, in Your mercy, for the conversion of those who persecute God's people, Lord, in Your mercy, for nations that abuse their power and their people, that liberty will flourish and overcome the oppression. Lord, in your mercy. For protection and deliverance from danger, violence, war, and natural disasters. Lord, in your mercy. For God's peace in our lives, families, neighborhoods, and nations. Lord, in your mercy. For the zeal of Zacchaeus to see Jesus more clearly and the willingness to make proper restitution where necessary. 
Lord, in your mercy. For those who mourn the loss of loved ones. Lord, in your mercy. For our enemies and those who have mistreated us. Lord, in your mercy. our prayer and give us the grace to love the truth and to hate what is evil. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbors with the peace of the Lord. and foremost, uh, you know, every Monday still we are providing food to those people that are working hard and fighting to make ends meet, right? And you know as well as I do that what a great challenge that is. If you have the time and the opportunity, please come Monday at about 3.30, usually done by 5. It is a great treat to be able to give to the community, and if you have that time, be there. You'll be glad you did. So bear that. That's tomorrow, about 3.30, done by 5. And that will help you prepare for a trunk or treat, which I think is also on Monday, right? <laughs> All right. So be here. I hear that there's going to be uh, movies. Is that right? going to be a screen up. We're going to watch movies. I don't know what movie we're going to be seeing. Maybe Charlie Brown. I don't know. Always good. People in costumes, trunks, handing candy out. Great, great time. You'll want to be there. Other things on here, let's see. Is This week is the men's retreat. If you're a man, you want to be there. Next week. Next week. Oh, time moves fast. <laughs> Next week. Next week. <laughs> All right, next week. Next week, men's retreat. Be aware. That's it. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together. Through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
We welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love Him and for those who want to love Him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. 
We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, with our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Phil, Sissy, the Cares family, Jill, the Marines and sailors, and all who serve in our armed forces. You can add the names of the people you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and you, you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, our mighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah! Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, Therefore let us keep the feast. Hallelujah! Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper.
graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you 
with gladness and singleness of heart, through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. As you have from this place, always remember the gospel, that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself and not counting your sins against you. God loves you. God has forgiven you. God is not mad at you. And God will never leave you nor forsake you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen.